here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. And we're back with an all-new Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. Aida, you go. Oh, Lewis, I traumatized you from last week. Oh, good, 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 good. I'm Aida Osman. And I'm Lewis Fertel. I really like being the last one because it feels like when they do the opening credits of a movie and then it ends, and Lewis Fertel, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the special guest star, or the, the, the one that is here to be credited, hopefully. You know, with, with, with like a wink or, um, you know. I just, I miss 80s credit sequences where, like, the last person in the credits is, like, waving a rolling pin in the kitchen or something like that. That's who I want to be. Yeah, very very family matters, too, you know? Oh, it's just yeah. like yeah. the name pops up, and then you're laughing, and you turn around, and then you see the camera, and you stop. Oh, yeah. And I am <laughs> the name. Telma Hopkins of this situation. I am Aunt, uh, wait, what was her name on Family Matters? Aunt Rachel. Aunt Rachel. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the the soft grain and the yellow text appears. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I, um, I keep it. My keep it. Should I go first? Yeah, this is just the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Girl, so you, got your keep, you got your keep it already? I'm so excited <laughs> to scream about Paul Rudd. Let me wait. Oh, oh, um. <laughs> Let me wait. <laughs> Girl, I, I know what you got to say, and we will talk about Paul Rudd later. Good, 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 good. Okay, I'm put, putting a pin in that. Putting a pin yeah, in that. Put a pin in Paul Rudd and all of the actors in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, because I got a lot to say about them in the keep it Okay, oh. too. good, 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 good. <laughs> Let's just get to our episode then, so we can rush to Aida's <laughs> keep it. It seems Every, urgent. Uh, yeah. Everything everything in life is just a crawl to my next keep it. So this is this <laughs> makes sense. This makes sense. Uh this week we will also be joined by Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show. He's so compulsively amazing um, listenable. As in once you watch one stand-up video of his, you have to watch like 20 more. He's just so I don't know what it is like casually commanding. I can't explain yeah. it. Yeah. It's a level of intelligence mixed with colloquial. Like he is he just gets it. He gets it. I think he's one of the best joke writers of our generation and probably generations prior. So definitely give his stand-up a listen and this interview will be a lot of fun. Yes. Uh uh, and then we also have to talk about some Oscars inclusion standards. Mm. We are going to chat a bit about Miss Paris Hilton. She has a new documentary out. Mm-hmm. And we're also going to talk about some controversies boiling in Hollywood with the film Mulan and also Mignons, <laughs> uh, this French film that uh, I believe some of you are referring to as cuties. But not a Francophile like Ira, yes. What's yes. the direct translation of mignon, Mignons? Other, Just, other than my guess, which is Minions. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that means cuties. Cute, Mignon, cute. Uh, well, I can hardly wait for the conversation. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Well, we've been consuming a lot more culture mm. this week because um, 
you can't even be outside in LA this week. I have been dying from um, just breathing the air. Damn, I know I make this joke a lot, but my friend keep FaceTiming me from LA, and it looks like the movie Whiplash whenever she goes outside. Like, it's just this... <laughs> Haze, this tint, this this orange, this orange film. Like, how are you guys doing over there? Oh, it really feels to me like basically what you said, like the poster for the movie Contagion or Dante's <laughs> Peak or, yeah. um, you know, it really is a shocking color I've never seen before. Occasionally, the sky in L.A. will be purple gray in a way that I associate with the scene in Aladdin where Jafar goes from a sorcerer to a genie, like things could not get any worse. <laughs> sorcery, yes. sorcery ass guy. Truly, the beard is could not be more twisted and evil at that moment. Mm. Before he sends um, Aladdin off through the air. Oh yes, oh yeah, and he's like off a cliff for a moment, but then he like tricks himself into being in the lamp. It feels like the end of Aladdin is like wordplay is what did Jafar in anyway. But. <laughs> He's rumple still scan. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and I know the air quality is bad. I mean, like, how are y'all's eyes, y'all's respiratory? Like, how's that? I am sniffly and sneezy, which I I usually associate with allergy season, but it's not the same. I mean, it's just unpleasant to be outside. That's the extent of it. But which is harsh, mostly because um, I did just move and like I have a backyard finally yeah. to chill out in, but. Even just being out there for ten minutes, it, it, like I, I had to go back in, and um, mm-hmm. even driving like um, to Starbucks, I've become addicted to going through the drive-through one <laughs> in LA now because I don't have to get out of my car my and one. interact with people. Mm-mm. Even driving now, like I don't even like want my sunroof open anymore. You know, it's very yeah. smoggy. Sunroof culture taking a huge hit during this time. I do have to say, truly, yeah. <laughs> but um, back to our news and culture, Lewis, as soon as we recorded last week, some very Vertel-centric news dropped. I know, seemingly to taunt me and me alone. <laughs> I'm assuming you, you get some type of like nightly newsletter that diffuses directly into your brain. So I know that you heard about this immediately when it happened. Right. No, 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 no. And I was supposed to have a take, and I have to tell you, I didn't have one immediately, and I felt bad about it. Mm. We're talking about the Oscars, correct? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah of course. <laughs> yeah, so well, go ahead and, why don't you go ahead and explain it to us? Oh, well, the Oscars decided to drop like an integrity bomb on everybody mm. and say that Best Picture nominees, I think, go, from 2024 going forward, mm. will require the film production to complete two of four sets of diversity standards, basically, which includes maybe having an internship program that promotes diversity or, like, the heads of departments will have to be um, diverse, which can mean everything from, like, uh, people of color to queer people to disabled people. Um, it was actually interesting to hear them define diversity in certain situations. But to be honest, while this is, I think everybody agrees, a pretty cool step, and in a way, just reestablish, like, there's no movies in the past few years that I think would fail this necessarily, but it's good to sort of have these guidelines in place. What surprised me is that it's, their first step is about Best Picture nominees, which I feel like is not something we're super concerned with necessarily. It's to me, mm-hmm. the Oscar diversity conversation is mostly about the acting categories, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I was wondering yeah. what they will do in that case, but this seems like a first step. It's nice. To me, the bar is on the fucking ground. The bar is underground. Like, you'd have to mine into the <laughs> Earth's core to clear the fucking bar. I mean, it's I a railroad. Know. Harriet Tubman <laughs> is driving the bar. <laughs> 
and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't even call it virtue signaling from the academy because I do appreciate that they're they're putting this these new um, modifications into their requirements. But it feels more like they can flaunt how they're making changes in this reality, which changes nothing because especially like the the two standards that are the easiest to fulfill. Like I think standard C is the one where you have to have two heads of creative being either women LGBTQ people of underrepresented communities or differently abled people it's like do you know who is usually in charge of costume design and makeup a woman boom you're done and like a lot of the time like everything i'm seeing online is people freaking out like this is so messed up we would have lost irishmen we would have lost 1917 <laughs> 1917 was written by a woman boom there's one the other second the second thing is costume design was done by a woman the Irish, it's not like Martin Scorsese is going to be like, oh, I have to make the Nigerian men now. Like, there's, <laughs> there's, nothing changes. Martin Scorsese been up in the booth with Thelma Schoonmaker. Right, right. Boom. You know, his Done. editor for his editor for decades. So my thing about it, too, is just that there's nothing wrong with white people making white content, to be honest. Keep mm-hmm. doing it. I love the Caucasian stylings of um, Sofia Coppola, you know, Greta Gerwig, <laughs> um, the Cohen brothers, you know. Um, a bomb But what, 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 what would be interesting, though, <laughs> um, is make your Caucasian movie have some non-white people on set then, you know? The easiest like, thing. Like, I don't see what the problem in that would be, you know? Like, even if you're making a film that's all white, like Little Women, right? You know? Yeah. Um, that's a period piece, you know, it's all white cast, etc. Like, you can have white, non-white people um, below the line. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean everyone making the film has to be white, you know? And the most interesting one to me was D, audience development, because that is described as... Um, the business of getting people to buy tickets. You know, this is like the studio or company or like the marketing and publicity. And it's like, cool, yeah, everyone who um, markets and um, does publicity for movies doesn't have to be um, a white woman in her early 30s, uh, as yeah. they usually are yeah. in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say it feels like the people criticizing this step were are, are like, people waiting to jump on this sort of thing and pretend that mm-hmm. like d- art is being dictated one way or the other. I know Kirstie Alley, for example, tweeted something about that. <laughs> like her Oscars are in danger. <laughs> okay, girl, relax. Meanwhile, it's like, read read the guidelines once. This has nothing to do with what a movie is about. Yeah. You know, so it's just uh-huh. really, ins- it's it just, I think it's something they're like taking for a test run, basically, to see how it goes. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's even weird to criticize it before we get to that point, which is, by the way, still years away. Yeah. Yeah. Illiterate film watchers went wild about this. Like, did you read <laughs> the standards? You don't need to be in a fucking tizzy about any of this. In fact, I would like for the Academy to be doing more. Like, this doesn't mm-hmm. feel like enough. Also, here's an idea. Just because a film is made doesn't mean that it needs to be nominated for Best Picture. Correct. Oh, speak on that. If someone wants to make their artistic endeavor that has only white men in it, and um, they're all straight, and everyone producing the movie is straight, too. Mm-hmm. Everyone on craft services is straight and white. <laughs> everyone um, driving transportation. Everyone involved is not a lick of color or any sort of higher number on the Kinsey scale <laughs> on this set. Cool. Make your piece of art, but you also don't get to get nominated um, and lauded by a ceremony that is celebrating the industry, right? right? Yeah. It literally is about one award. Yeah. 
make your art, celebrate yourself, but then we're not going to celebrate you. Yeah. And I will still always question your obsession with portraying stories that don't feature underrepresented people, but I'm not going to ask you to cram diversity into your little movie, Sam Mendes. Just like, you know, like, I'll let you live. I'll truly let you live. <laughs> I mean, the past few years, like, best picture winners from an audience perspective don't seem to have a diversity. You know, it's like we have the Parasite win. We have the Gre- yeah. Green Book win. I'm not saying we like that movie, but I mean, arguably... Yeah, but Marshall is black. Yes, right. Correct. <laughs> so they're good. They're you know, good. Moonlight. There were hella, you know, hella so, Negroes. Yeah. Hella Negroes <laughs> in Green Book. But that's, <laughs> my fear. that's my fear also is that, like, I, I don't want to hear 2024 jokes about people on staff being like, oh, he's just an Oscar hire. You know, like, we needed eligibility. And I could see that happening as well. Overall, though, this... it does. Bitch, I'll be an Oscar hire. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I feel get, bad get, because... Get, Show me the money. (laughs) (laughs) Ira, we need you to write this script because you're an Oscar hire. (laughs) (laughs) I'm down. I'm down. It's what shocks me and... I, I think like we've been seeing the Academy making changes to the actual Academy by adding more people from underrepresented groups. But like it, this had to come from the Academy and not some like fringe Hollywood diversity group. And also all these requirements could have been coming from the studios. Like it's it's very the studios should have been making these changes before the Academy had to instill this. But that would have never mm, happened. Asking the studio to do something. <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So also this weekend, um, there was a new documentary that dropped on YouTube Originals called This Is Paris. Speaking of Oscars. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did anyone else have a chance to watch it? Oh, I did. I have to say, like, at no point in my reality watching past has Paris Hilton even really been like a blip on my radar. Like the simple life to me was a show where I did think it was amusing. I don't need to see more than three episodes. Like I get where it's going and what it is. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, it's, it's not throwing at me like a wild new plot that I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need to eat up and discuss for uh, months afterwards. Tiffany Pollard did it better anyway. That's what yes, I'm saying. Of right. New but, York uh, goes to work. I consider Simple Life to be more like a a book of resources, an encyclopedia from where I can draw memes. I don't see it as actual watching material. Precisely. Um, Yes. It's ammunition for for our our sad brains. Um, (laughs) But like, uh, I will say, I thought the movie was more watchable than I expected. And in fact, I do think they kind of... I'm not saying gave her depth, but she seemed like a recognizable human being in certain ways, like dropping the voice, for example. I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. What surprised me about the movie was how absolutely awful her mom comes across. Just like Mm -hmm. she spends Mm -hmm. her... Paris's entire childhood comparing her to movie stars along with her grandmother uh, her, her grandmother's obsessed with Paris's looks and then she uh, sends Paris off to like some horrible boarding school which we end up revisiting later in the film because the people there were terribly abusive to her and everybody there and then unfortunately the movie doesn't give me what I want which is it doesn't investigate when Paris stops being the most famous person in the world and explaining mm-hmm. how that affects her because her whole brand was predicated on that, right? Like, I'm the number mm-hmm. one, basically. I wish they had investigated that more. I wish they had talked about, like, the fame mm-hmm. addiction, which she touches on but never really explores. I would say that um, I, the, Kathy being a monster didn't really shock me because um, I speak as a fan of Real Housewives. Uh, so if you watch Real Housewives <laughs> we of Beverly watch your Hills, stories, Ira. Uh, <laughs> 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 if you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Kyle and Kim Richards, um, Paris's aunt, uh, Kathy's sisters, are on that show. 
you know, and have been on there for years. And Kathy has made appearances. So you could always sort of see uh, her cold sort of demeanor, um, especially to her sisters on television for years. But if seeing it in the documentary, it was just very stark how they did just send her to this place and, like, didn't know about the abuse that was happening. And even when she finds out, like, you know, there, 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 there doesn't really seem to be a moment where you're sort of dissecting Kathy, you know, or even yeah. the dad, you know? Who's not uh, in the movie. Yeah. Who's not in it. Who's not in the documentary. And the whole documentary, for me, I wanted something that really did examine um, the place of this woman who was part of culture for so long and yes then did dip out of it right and it doesn't really do that it pretends like she's still going at the same speed she always was that i think is a flaw it sets up a lot of like trauma porn too unfortunately because you know it sets you up with you're gonna find out about some abuse and then at the end you know like when they reveal that she was abused at basically these camps to like where you send like quote-unquote bad kids you know and like other women who were a part of that group when she was younger um join and then they sort of have like a conversation about all the abuses that happened to them and it leads up to her telling Kathy at the end about it that is sort of tacked on it feels like to make her feel um sympathetic and it does but then also I still don't really know anything about Paris you know we learned that she's a control freak and I think the most interesting part of the documentary is she was dating this German guy Alex for a bit right um, during the shooting of the documentary and they broke up since and we see this fight between them you know where he like throws her computer and like she's screaming at her and she's screaming at him as she's about to perform DJing at this music festival and you know you can see that like she hates that like he's about to mess up her performance right and she's like cut his um festival wristbands off which is actually the funniest moment of the documentary to me. she says that like and you know like cutting someone's festival wristbands off is like the meanest thing, thing you can do, do to a person <laughs> but watching that i was like i wanted to see more of those moments you know mm-hmm. and it reminds me of um the david foster documentary someone else with a connection to um real housewives basically that um that documentary was obviously like partly produced by him, but you know, it it showed sides of his personality and interviewed enough people that showed David Foster's an asshole, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but a talented asshole and you like working with him because he is an asshole who gets the job done, you know? But I don't think that there were enough people really speaking to who Paris is and how you interact with her. So a lot of, you know, like uh just fluffing her up, you know, especially the interviews from like Kim and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that I want it more also, not just from Kathy, but also Nikki, because Nikki seems like a person who seems directly descended from Kathy. It, it, what I was more interested in is what you mentioned, Lewis, the idea of this woman who was so famous and then sort of stopped being famous. And the movie does pretend that, like, there was never a dip in her fame. And, like, we never even get introduced to how she starts, like, making music or DJing. Like, they never even talk about her albums, really. No, and by the way, she keeps talking about how people disrespect her DJing, but they don't explain why she got into it. Like, where did that come from? It doesn't make any sense to me. Also, but I do have to say, Nikki, very very quotable. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's very quotable. Mm -hmm. But I would say what they don't get into is the fact that Nikki was basically doing the same stuff as Paris early on. Right. And then Paris linked up with, like, Nicole Richie and then, like, the Lindsay Lohan and Britney and stuff, right? And Nikki seems to have transformed into their mom and doesn't do any of that, like, 
I need to be the center of attention fame stuff anymore. And I want to see that story. And also, yeah, for a documentary that talks about Paris Hilton, like it talked about the sex tape scandal and how that she didn't leak it herself and how that was really horrifying to her. But we don't hear anything about her like partying with like Britney and Lindsay and that stuff and like Mm -hmm. the stuff where she actually was like doing destructive things in the media. So I sort of think it was just sort of like a, it was nice to see, but it was too long and it didn't really dive into her as a figure. You mentioned that Kyle Richards was in it. I wish we had gotten more from her because she seemed very perceptive about Paris Hilton. Mm -hmm. Like she said, like there was definitely way too much of a focus on her looks growing up and stuff. And I was waiting for more of that kind of biting perspective on this situation, Mm -hmm. which this documentary could have, could have used, even though again, I do think it's watchable. I kind of recommend it. I, I, you know what? I would say that Kyle, even though I dislike her on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills for a lot of reasons, um, has been on that show for 10 years. So I think that she's gotten used to like how to talk about herself and her family. Uh, and a lot of stuff that's happened with her sister, you know, that was revealed on Real Housewives are things that um, she really sort of had to confront head on in the media. So I think she's been able to sort of like analyze her own self a bit more. Um, and I think that whatever you would say about her, I think that she's a very good mother to her kids. Um, and I think that seeing how Kathy was raising um, Paris and Nikki really sort of probably affected Kyle and how she was going to raise her own family, you know? Oh, Because she's younger. I want to add quickly that also another thing I can't stand about Kathy, or that's funny about Kathy, is that all of her observations about Paris Hilton seem wrong to me. Like, she's like, first of all, she's like, I always thought she was going to be a veterinarian. Fucking really? In the (laughs) the Hilton family? And then secondly, she goes, goes, behind closed doors, she's brilliant. Also not true. Literally, we have sat with this character the entire time. Yeah, she's the most brilliant person that you'll ever meet. I'm like, girl, shut the fuck up. Have you met her? Yeah. It was really surprising. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. shrewd. I would say that as a businesswoman, but dive into that. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and we'll talk about this when we get to my keep it. But um, I really dislike the part where she is really trying to hint the fact that, like, some of the Hiltons got money from, like, their grandfather. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, some of the other Hiltons, like, we had to work. I'm like, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Come on. Come on. I'm not thinking that you were broke. It's like when Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like, I'm not really a billionaire. It's like, but maybe you are. (laughs) It sounds like you are. (laughs) So you you didn't get the property. You didn't get the capital. But, like, you you still had uh, access to a slush fund, I'm sure. Yeah, right, right. Anyway, we'll be right back with Roy Wood Jr. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. 
I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> Very excited to have our guest on today. He is a comedian and correspondent on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, the funniest late night show in quarantine. Please welcome Roy Wood Jr. It's exciting. I said exciting already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> limited vocabulary uh, works. Truly, so lim- truly limited this early in the morning. No, we were just talking about meeting people offline who you do from Twitter too. And I remember I first met you IRL at... That new bougie club in LA, the San Vicente Bungalows. Yeah, uh, it was a oh, bougie wow. spot doing black comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it? A, it was a stand-up show. Yeah, Were you it was. Roy? Yeah, um, Yasser Luster was doing um, a show. And so it was like, you were there, Ray Sani was there. That's why I went to see, because uh, she told me about it. And it was just really funny being up in this... Um, Basically, it's like a Soho house, sort of, or want it to be. Um, and yeah. you you went Numbers up into only. this theater and passing like white people, celebs, like having <laughs> their little little candlelit dinners, and then up there is just some black people <laughs> doing comedy, <laughs> <laughs> like edgy black comedy too. Like this wasn't like safe black. Like they was telling them white people about themselves. Like the, the shit was low key. <laughs> It was low-key a racial intervention as much as it was a comedy show. But yeah, that was a good time. Thank you for being chill in real life. I There's, without naming names, I will say that the people that I'm always most disappointed to meet are usually entertainers of the generation before me. Mm. Oh, like people that you've had time to look up to and okay. The pre-social media, like there's, there's enough, there's one... <laughs> I'm not going to say who, <laughs> but I feel like this is the type of podcast where you could drop a little breadcrumb and real niggas are connected dots. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, 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 yeah. So Give us something, Roy. <laughs> if you're a real internet detective, you'll be able to find out who I'm talking about. Um, I was, this is right before I left Birmingham, uh, between LA and Daily Show, I went back home to Birmingham for about a year and a half to do a morning show. And I get invited down to Selma for the bridge crossing Jubilee and, you know, civil rights Coachella, basically. (laughs) And I was at a function and a civil rights leader who has done a lot and marched a lot and walked a lot and Mm. done a lot, rubbed a couple people the wrong way along his career. But there's no denying his contributions to the positivity of black culture. We're at an event and... He's talking to Dick Gregory or whatever. And like an older brother, like an older, and I say older, I mean late 60s, early 70s. And he goes, brother, 
I was there on the original Bloody Sunday, and I drove all the way from Stillwater, Oklahoma, just to shake your hand. And this person that we laud turned around to this old black man and said, you drove to shake my hand? He goes, yes, sir. Well, it ain't going to happen tonight. Have a good evening, brother. <laughs> <laughs> and turned the fuck back around and kept talking to Dick Gregory. Wow. Now, imagine marching across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, getting your shit beat in for the betterment of society, going to the anniversary, the 48th anniversary of you getting your shit beat in. <laughs> And speaking to one of the people who was there with you getting their shit beat in. <laughs> and they won't even shake your hand. In the head, I'm doing the red string and like like putting dates together and stuff. Like, just yeah. watch out. I may have it by the end of this podcast. You never know. Bro. <laughs> Time to bro. reflect. It was, they're still living. Don't you dare say John Lewis. That man is uh, that would That would be truly devastating. If that <laughs> but John Lewis doesn't have, John Lewis doesn't have funk on his career, though. His, his mm. career is infallible. So, you know, mm -hmm. my point is I'm scared of meeting people of the older generation. Those are the people I'm more reluctant to talk to in public because I don't know what's going to come out your mouth. I do feel like if I meet like a firebrand who's like whatever, like Twitter age, 30s, 20s, whatever, in real life, they are often extremely nice. Like online is just an entire other personality you cultivate. And then mm -hmm. shockingly, you can be socially functional outside of that, you know? Yeah, it's it's interesting, though, to see people briefly in public and then see them tweet. And you go through their Twitter. I'm like, motherfucker, that ain't how you read in person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Like, it's just different, man. Except the except the right wing people. I feel like they're all crazy in person. Who have I met that's on the right wing side? You know, you know who's interesting to talk to? Um, black Republicans. Mm. Because we don't want to admit this, but there is still some overlap behaviorally and culturally between all black people, regardless of what your political beliefs are there's certain things that you still overlap and have similarities in. And so the piece never came out, but we went to, it was in February or March of this year, one of them big Republican conventions where they go and high hat and walk around or whatever. I, I can't think of the name of the event, but it was in DC if somebody wants to Google it. But um, we go to this event and it's all Republicans or whatever. And I met a gang of black Republicans. We were shooting a segment for Daily Show. And we were talking to black Republicans. And there's moments in the conversation where you forget that your views aren't the same. Mm -hmm. And you go, oh, you're a pretty level-headed person. And it seems like that. Oh, shit. That's what you believe? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like outside of politics, I'm like, damn, I would probably have a drink with this person. I have had drinks with these. Yo, there's a lot of comedians, man, that have flipped. Mm. Well, I feel like you turn like 51 in comedy and are a man and something can go awry really quickly. Yo. I discovered this on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, Louis, yo, that's some real shit. Because there's a lot of comics that have pivoted into something that I would have never guessed them to be, you know, 20 years ago. You know, more power mm -hmm. to them. But it's it's odd, man. It's odd when you meet people in real life and you can see the duality of what they are online. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, you're not like that. In Why would you behave like that? Why would you say those things? But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they just... The black Republican thing is interesting to me if only because yes there are cultural things that we would connect with right and then but you wonder like 
how they feel about just like certain things. It's like, do they listen to like, do they grow up listening to like some Curtis Mayfield? Like, could they mm -hmm. put on some old records that, you know, their mom or something used to play? Do they enjoy listening to that? But then they turn around and they're like, well, got to lock up the city girls because we can't be, because we, we, we can't be spreading this shit into society. You know, it's, it's always the, like the weird switch where you never know if it works. And also their, their hair never seems to be on point. Oh my god! It, it, oh yeah, that's a separate. <laughs> Only going to white salons. Truly when you're a live, black by, live by the flat iron. <laughs> die by the flat iron. I'm so worried about Candace Owens. Except, Omarosa always looks good. Yeah, uh, where's okay. Omarosa? Omarosa been on her lay low since the book, huh? <laughs> she has been. You think she's having a, a come to Jesus moment, hopefully, trying to figure herself out? I think it's more like a cicada moment, and you'll see her <laughs> raring and ready in about 16 years. Yeah. <laughs> she's waiting to see if Trump um, loses or not. I think she's mm -hmm. waiting for a second act, and I think she's prepared depending on whatever happens. She's going to pop up like November 2nd in the 11th hour, ready, ready for the election. <laughs> I know her. That's the thing about the black, about the black race though or black people at least what i believe is that there's still i can't remember who tweeted it who twatted it whatever <laughs> maybe it was me i don't remember but this conversation about getting back into the good graces of black folk right mm -hmm. and could someone like amarosa or stacy dash ever be redeemed whatever that looks like and somebody somebody on twitter said essentially they may not get invited to the cookout, but they can at least come and get a plate and take <laughs> it take home, home with them. A take-home plate. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair. That's a fair... It's kind of like like my, my grandma didn't really fuck with my pops that much, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we would have like family like um, events in Mississippi, my dad would come over to the house, stay at the house all day, and then was trying to go to bed. He'd go up the street to a hotel because he, he couldn't sleep... <laughs> <laughs> at the house and i'm like maybe that's maybe that's eventually what it is but i just think that i don't know i just think all politics boils down to who do you put first your country or yourself mm -hmm. and the answer to that question essentially will define a lot of what you stand on politically because that's all black people are forced to do every every four years is put the country before their own needs and now it's a bunch of black folks who just going fuck it i want to get mine and it looked like Trump going to help me get mine, even if mm -hmm. you, you know, buy into the bullshit of that. It's just that's where a lot of all of this shit comes from. It's just choosing self over. I think that's why a lot of folks, a lot of black people reluctant on Biden, low key. Mm. It's like there's a lot of people that's going to go vote for Biden, black people that's going to go vote for Biden reluctantly. Mm -hmm. But you got to do it. It's just like, <laughs> all right, let me go vote for this old motherfucker and maybe Kamala <laughs> get a year and a half. Ain't, nobody wants to say that, but I, I really feel like there's people that are thinking that. It's just like, I'm going to vote for Biden and then he going to slur his words halfway into his term and then he going to have to step down and then we got President Kamala. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did have that slip trending today on Twitter. It was She talked about the Harris uh, administration. Oh, at that's a, awesome. A, oh, girl. Oh. More, more slips in oh. that vein. Right? Correct. <laughs> oh. girl. But I was like, go ahead, girl. Go oh. ahead. <laughs> oh. 
That's fucked up. If I'm Joe, I'm you got to call her like, yo, what you doing? <laughs> Kamala, come on. Kamala. That's like when you and somebody just been talking a little bit for like a couple months and then she slip up and go, Well, you know, when we get our own place. Huh? <laughs> Pardon? I thought we was just we. going out to Cheesecake Factory. I didn't know we was on the same lease already. <laughs> So we saw that video of her in the Converse All-Stars. The woman is, I mean, ready. She's at the starting line. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> she going to do, do an AKA call, get, get the distraction going. <laughs> Yo, I am, I've never been more happy to not be a member of a black Greek fraternity yeah. or sorority because the pressure they're under to just, you got to vote for her because she's Greek. Like, just that level of mm-hmm. all politics aside, we both in college took the same peaky promise to uphold blackness. So I have to put my <laughs> politics in my back pocket <laughs> and support you regardless of what you stand for. Like, that part of it, I think, is it's an interesting position for black Greeks to be in, but it mm-hmm. seems like she's getting support and love from all of them. I don't know. I never had the grades for that shit. And by the time I did, <laughs> I was ready. To, I was ready to graduate by the time I was too much pressure. <laughs> it's just more shit to learn. I had two ranked roommates. One pledged Omega Sci-Fi. The other one pledged uh, Phi Beta Sigma. And I remember them just both coming home on, on school nights at like 3.30 in the morning, tired and dirty and... <laughs> physically exhausted and then they had this thi- shoulder sore yeah <laughs> then they got this thick ass fucking book of gangster knowledge they got to learn of the whole history of the fraternity and the founders I'm like man you just you literally just added five credit hours to your semester <laughs> and that's how I looked at it I was just like mm, I know they do a lot of good fuck it I'll volunteer I'll just volunteer. When I need to do some good in the community, I'll volunteer. Mm-hmm. I'll for a sweatshirt and a week of strolling. <laughs> Although I will say this, man, Black Greek Hollywood, that's an underground that you, if you can be a part of that shit right there, yo, you can get some shit done in this city. Yeah. Man. You can get some shit done. If Wait, you what, who, who, who's, who's heading all that? Or, I mean, maybe I'm not allowed to know, frankly. But, yeah. <laughs> Hell, I'm not allowed to know shit. <laughs> But I do, I do know of members of fraternities and sororities who are sometimes, you know, that can be an added factor in deciding whether or not to collaborate or help someone. Like, you know, any advantage you can get mm-hmm. in L.A., exploit that shit. I get it. I get why motherfuckers be pledging for, like, every time, like, who was it that just crossed? Was it George Clinton? There was, it was George Clinton and there was another black comic that just like in their 50s, it's like now I'm Omega Sci Fi. I'm like, I fucking get it, man. Them niggas connect. <laughs> Go ahead. It ain't no different than going to Soho House and hobnobbing with some motherfucking finance. That's fair. And Soho House is very, is very white. Uh, except for except for the new one, the downtown one, Soho Warehouse. Got a lot of black people. Oh, okay. I got it. Yeah. I got to check that one out. I'm yeah. still scared of people right now, man. I ain't fucking with outdoors like that. Mm hmm. Yeah, like, I still got people calling me assuming that I'm fucking with outdoors the way they fuck with outdoors. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, my friends are asking me like they're doing their little stand up shows in the bed of trucks out in New York and stuff. And I'm like, why are y'all outside? Why are y'all outside? Have you done any any type of stand up show, any type of anything as far as that's concerned? I have not 
touched a microphone publicly since March 13th. <laughs> mm. And I am in no rush. I do need to get material out of my system and start trying to shape stuff for 21. But my thing is, like, I get it for a lot of comics. There are a lot, of, I'll say this about New York comics a lot of them are in isolation. This is month six. It's already a tough career. Your money's short. You need therapy. Therapy costs money. <laughs> Comedy is free therapy. So mm-hmm. for those comedians, like honestly, like when I look at the pictures of a lot of the outdoor shows, it's comedians without families or it's comedians who live alone or comedians with roommates that are also in the same dire straits or in the same at the same point in their career. So mentally, you all are fighting the same battle. So I understand the need for that type of camaraderie. But if I'm out on stage, I'm trying to build material that I could hopefully put on TV one day. And the country's mm-hmm. changing so much, you don't know what the fuck. It, like, I could write a joke right now, and depending on how November go, that joke might not even be worth shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy to think that pre-COVID, I have material about mass shootings that might not even be relevant. Mm. Because it's not even in the zeitgeist. Like, we rem- like remember mass shootings? Like, mm-hmm. you would have to literally walk people back through history and go remember 2019 so i got a four-year-old right so we did it we did a segment this is me show you how black i am for a second (laughs) so we did a segment for daily show years ago um we went to the university of texas where it is legal to bring an ar-15 on the campus but it is illegal to bring a dildo so there are these young women that are basically protesting for the right to bring dildos on campus, open carry, the same as a gun. And the movement is called Cox, not Glocks. <laughs> so <laughs> so I go to the Cox, not Glocks rally. And as a thank you, now this is a weird thank you, but as a thank you, they sent me a University of Texas bulletproof vest, which I still have in my office at the Daily Show, right? My son is four years old and he's in preschool and this is terrible to think but like next year i'm like he's kindergarten it's crazy to think as a father shit i gotta start thinking about school shit you don't think about him at two three years old you don't think about it at a preschool but now in my brain i'm like Mm -hmm. fuck he might be at that age i look up bulletproof backpacks these things are so goddamn expensive (laughs) So, so the next thing i google is can you still use a bulletproof vest after cutting it into smaller pieces? <laughs> oh my god! And it's not—it's not effective. It's not effective. To <laughs> but like, I'm—I'm I'm legit thinking about retrofitting this vest that they sent me and just turning it into a kid's backpack. But then I also don't want to be the father sending my kid to school with a bullet with a blatantly obvious bulletproof <laughs> backpack. Like, and then I'm the one stirring up all the panic. It's like everybody has to be calm. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, nah, one of us needs to be crazy. When they did the shutdown for the school back in March, right, they had a meeting with the parents the week before. And so it's all the parents in the cafeteria, and we're voicing our concerns about COVID. And and it was on the back. The reason why it was a big issue, my son goes to a predominantly Asian preschool. Mm-hmm. It was like two weeks after Chinese New Year and Trump is on TV going China virus, China virus and all of that shit. 
And so everybody's like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And everybody was trying to remain calm. And there was one parent in the back. And he's going, well, what about this? We should have a mask. We should have hand washing. We should have hand sanitizer stations. I think I think we should just, we maybe should, do, what about contact tracing? We need to talk about who's going home and where the housekeepers go. And everybody thought that dude was a fucking crazy man. Mm. <laughs> wow. My fucker was prophetic is what he was. <laughs> mm. Right. And. I don't want to be that guy about school shootings. So I shut the fuck up is my point. (laughs) But there's part of me that just thinks that, that just because as we start going back out into groups and people are coming out of what is essentially to me, probably one of the longest and worst untreated mental health episodes in our country's history, at least in our generation's history, you don't know how these motherfuckers going to come out of quarantine. They coming out broke. They coming out unemployed. Mm. They coming out with less family members. Mm brainwashed out with way less hope with cults yo you know you've been yeah. inside all day watching fox news and then you just supposed to just come back out to a shopping mall bitch i'll pass <laughs> uh, uh, i'm not they had the big celebration in jersey the shopping mall is open come on and buy some sneakers no uh, before you go i really want to ask too about like you're still doing daily show during quarantine. It's gotten so um, much more, you know, like heavier during quarantine. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, what is it like with just all of us being online now and we're talking about shit like QAnon and, you know, like Fox, like like everybody's just in taking all this shit now, right? You know, and like, how are y- y'all like thinking about even how to tackle what's happening in the world. Because I feel like there's so much happening. And it's like, how do you decide what to talk about on a daily basis? It's kind of twofold. Trevor's job, or as we call it, studio. The studio's job, you know, with the writers, that's more now. That's the reactionary or the analytical presentation of the third side to what appears to be a two-sided argument. That's essentially what Trevor... If you really watch a lot of what Trevor does, that's to me, that's that's the magic of him is he's able to react to the craziness. And then also, oh, we're going to argue about Breonna Taylor. Okay, well, then let's also talk about this, this and this. In addition to that, let's add that. And if you are against those cops being arrested, here's the other things to get like. That's what Trevor does. We can never do that in the field department because we can't keep up. Mm -hmm. It takes from conception to shoot, to edit. Like, even now, in COVID, the turnaround on a field piece is probably two weeks. Mm-hmm. Mm. Because to shoot it, to or to pitch it, to figure out what you want to say in the interview, to doing the interview, editing the interview, then finding a spot for it on the show, the news cycle has turned too fast. So we just, we can't keep up. So our job in field is to be a little more predictive and a little bit more ahead of the curve. Like, yeah, you kind of want to see what's down the road. So the story that I'm working on right now is about the Florida felons and mm-hmm. whether or not, you know, felons had their right to vote restored, but then the state put a poison pill in it saying that you have to pay all of your fines before you can vote. Mm-hmm. And the registration deadline is like at the end of like the middle of October, right? So hip hip hooray, felons can vote. Just pay your fine. How much do I owe? The state won't tell you. So now you have people like LeBron James and other charities raising money to pay the fines to essentially create new voters. Mm -hmm. That's a story that no matter what QAnon is doing 
And no matter what Trump says on the fly, no matter Kamala claiming to be the president, (laughs) (laughs) felons having to pay for the right to vote but not being told how much they owe, that will be a story Mm -hmm. between now and the next two weeks. So that's the story that we'll go and cover, mm-hmm. you know, for Phil. Uh, Dulce Sloan, um, she did a story um, and she spoke with a bunch of drag queens about what they were doing to activate the vote. And like, it's like, it's finding the people that are attached to the larger moments where I think Trevor can talk about the moments themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's probably the biggest change where, you know, back in the day, we, like, I give you an example of a story I pitched. This is pre-Trump. And this is a story that was approved and it was going to air. And then Trump got elected. Most predominantly black colleges have predominantly white baseball teams. Hmm. And so the story was just about exploring how baseball becomes something that black people have stopped pursuing in the exploration of blackness. But there's only 7% (laughs) African American. Then Trump happened. And it's like, we don't give a fuck about no white baseball team <laughs> and Bethune Cookman. Bitch, get out of here. That well, ain't... now, <laughs> someone's going to hear this, and we're, you know we're going to deal with, like, a green book in a couple of years about, like, a white baseball team at an HBCU. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there's a predominantly white black college in West Virginia. Like, we were going to talk about that. It, like, it was a college that started out as a black, histor- it's still a historically black college, but just niggas stopped going. And white people's like, well, I'll go. <laughs> this should not be a surprise to me, but I just want to say how much you sound like a newspaper editor talking about all this stuff. Like, it's this other brain that a comedian would normally never have to entertain. So, anyway, I know you come from a broadcast background, but yeah. yeah. You have to know yeah, yeah, all yeah. of this. Mm-hmm. Then The thing that's extra hard now is that not only do you have to know what's happening you have to know what the other shows are doing so that you don't step on an angle that you like you can i'm not going to say you can predict but you can tell when something feels like an olive john oliver level right depth to mm-hmm. a story like oliver's going to find the fact and then the person and the person connected to that person that's connected to the company and then you go three more layers deeper, then that's, you know, that's Hassan Minaj territory with Patriot Act. So mm-hmm. you start learning what the other shows, what their t- what their creative tendencies are, so you can avoid that too, because nobody wants to be copycatting each other, and I'm sure they do the same with us. Mm-hmm. So that's the other layer to it. It's what's the story that's still cooking in two weeks, and what's the angle that these other nine should always welcome Amber Ruffin and Larry Wilmore to the mix now too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On Peacock. So there's always going to be more political satire out there. So it's about figuring out what everyone else is doing in addition to what's your take on it that'll still be relevant in two weeks so that it's not white baseball. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you for being here, Roy. Yeah, thanks for coming, Roy. This, this was fun. The Daily Show airs weeknights at 11 on Comedy Central.
Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now from May 6th at Wayfair.com. Every style, every home. Woo! The girls are boycotting. Truly. This week. <laughs> Gotta do something. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Social reform. The girls are boycotting. <laughs> Be fifo fum. All the boycotts come. <laughs> It's time. Two, <laughs> two international production giants are facing criticism and threats of boycotts over new releases, but for very different reasons. They are, of course, Disney for Mulan, the live-action remake, and Netflix for Mignons uh, or Cuties. Americans, I've been calling it. Let's get into Mulan first. Louis. I still didn't watch the movie. Weird. Nor have I. So let me hear what Lewis got to say. Remember last week when you were like, oh, you were saying like what you thought about it. And you were like, it was kind of boring or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'll watch it. And then truly people were flooding my Twitter feed being like, Ira, don't you watch this movie. Oh, wow. Don't support it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen, believe it or not, I just was busy. Yeah. And so I wasn't even consciously thinking of not watching it. And now I, pr- I probably won't. Because also, I don't really watch these live-action Disney movies in the first place. I tried the Aladdin. Mm-hmm. It was the one out of all of them I was most excited about because it Same. seemed to be the least yeah. like kind of kitschy or um, mm-hmm. dependent on recreating the humor of the original mm. you know also it has an all human cast so it's not impossible to do right <laughs> yeah i mean other than you know it's not like a lion king is what i'm saying <laughs> yeah i mean i saw lion king because beyonce obviously don't know Glover. but aladdin like i watched i tried to watch on a plane and after the one jump uh, 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 i cut it off because <laughs> i was like i was like no 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 this is this is not cute in live action. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. I hadn't seen the original Mulan in years and years and years. Like, And in fact, I had forgotten how awesome the song Reflection is but, and revisited yes. that and stuff. But I have to say... The remake is great. Oh, I know. The, I know. The, great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Christina's version. But watching clips of the original, I had forgotten that it's like just as like goofy and ragtag as a lot of those other movies in many respects, mm-hmm. even without Mushu, which is the main thing that's taken out of the new movie. Yeah. And to compare them, it's just like, it's just a way more jovial experience the first time around. This time around, they were going for majesty. They wanted you to be like awed by the splendor of it. And you are for a second, but that's just not a super sustainable movie situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Mushu was voiced by Eddie, Eddie Murphy, Murphy, correct? Right? Yes. And then didn't mm-hmm. he also he also voiced Donkey? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm like trying to put that all back in my brain, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and remembering that those are basically the same character. Oh, true. Yeah. Uh, essentially, yeah. I mean, everything Eddie Murphy yeah. did was that same tonality. Yeah. You know, yeah. he didn't give well, us a whole range. And also, Shrek is you know the American Mulan. Of course. Yeah. 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 Mike Myers did play Mulan. Yeah. That remains <laughs> a, a yes. very crazy that story. That. uh 
Mike Myers did all the entire voiceover a certain way as uh, Shrek and then redid the entire thing with the Scottish accent that we're now familiar with last minute. It was his choice. I buy that. Yeah, that's the correct choice. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've seen the entire Shrek extended universe, including Puss in Boots. So. Oh, how did that go? <laughs> Enjoyable. Yeah. Enjoyable. But I also like the Minions movies. Put me in front of a dumb kids movie and it's animated um, and oh, give, me some, okay. give me some weed and I love it. What? So I got all that shit about Boss Baby, but you love you love the movies too. You're right on board with me. Okay, first of all, Boss Baby is not Watch Minions, yourself. Okay? Don't <laughs> Watch compare. Don't compare. Don't compare Boss Baby to Minions ever. A despicable me. Period. Yeah, the, yeah despicable the, me. Despicable the rating, you. The rating, the rating is in the movie. The rating is in the title. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Minions, you did get you did get a rare Sandra Bullock in a villain role thing. Which true appreciative, which had to be animated for it to ever work. See, except for the Blind Side, but we'll we'll move immediately. On. <laughs> <laughs> Leanne Patui, yeah. <laughs> getting getting back to the boycott in yeah, yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. What? Yes. Well, what's interesting is before we even get into the boycott of the new live action one, mm-hmm. I did not know that the original one was also faced in a searing. As searing as this man can get, um, a lukewarm op-ed from Mike Pence. Right, oh. Mike Pence was like a first. Of all, he was like a conservative radio personality back in like the late nineties in Indiana, and he talks about and he, then he pens like a piece, and it's like, "Hello, fellow Hoosiers. Um, <laughs> I took my kids to see this movie, and you know what, Mulan is." Um, a danger because it is trying to force women in the military on the U.S. <laughs> Mike Pence Vence. And that's been Mike Pence Vence. <laughs> <laughs> that has been him for years. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's literally a movie about a woman who is pretty good at her job. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, that's, uh, and who steps up to save her father, her ailing father, <laughs> from a role that he shouldn't have to do. But when you get into fathers and mothers with Mike <laughs> Pence, that's where it gets confused and naughty. So, <laughs> yeah. well, he also explained the romance as a reason why um, women shouldn't be in the military as well. He's like even Mulan, who's who's dainty, but um, allegedly this great warrior falls in love with a man and women will fall in love with men if they're in the military. Why is this man existing? Man. And so anti-love. The trenches get boring. There needs to be some spice. Like, why doesn't he want our our military men to have love? Hasn't he read A Farewell to Arms? (laughs) That is, that. like, I just thought all straight people pre the civil rights era fell in love at war. That man really is... All he is is a tone of voice. It's sounding <laughs> serious. There's no principles other than the like party line of reactionary conservatism. He just is mm-hmm. among the living worst. And I know that's that's meaningless in a time when everybody's the living worst and then you throw in Mitch McConnell and all these other people. But really, it's like, yeah. wow, you, gr- you gained career footing off calling Mulan propaganda. Like, pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> uh and we'll get into more reactionary conservatives in a minute when we talk about cuties. But oh, shit. Yeah. But Mulan, the anger here, 
seems justified. Yes, no, it's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah, so, it's not even about the content of the movie no. as much as it's about the production and the care. This is, Disney filmed it in um, Xinjiang, um, a province of China where the government is currently keeping um, over one million Muslims in basically concentration camps. And it thanked the regions and officials in the credits. Uh, so that's not great, <laughs> Disney. <sighs> Well, I truly can't fathom, and I know that we're waiting on responses and we're waiting for this to be dealt with in an ethical way, but right now, I mean, for those of us that don't know, there are 11 million Uyghur Muslims living in this province in China, and one million of them are being forcibly indoctrinated to lose their culture in these re-education camps right now, and um, it's this is all news to Americans probably within the past year or two. Yeah. We have other shit to deal with. It just doesn't seem that... <laughs> no, I'm, it's, it's A million... <laughs> I know, and the film uh, filming in that region is bad, but then also to film in that region and produce a bad movie, that's the human rights violation, in my mind. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, and it's, um, I'll talk about this a bit later in my Keep It, you know, but there's just this idea that um, Disney, a conglomerate, is, you know, like using um, an area which is promoting nationalism, you know, an ethno-nationalism, yeah. um, and uh, it's really just not important because we're making some money. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and even beyond that, there was an article from Axios about the colorism that's been happening in um, Chinese films as well. Yeah. You know, the idea that um, an academic study found that since 2012, when the Chinese government began allowing more foreign films into the country, Hollywood movies have cast more lighter skinned actors in starring roles. And so this ties in with the fact that how often do we hear studios talking about, you know, sort of, um, quote unquote international appeal and they're Mm -hmm. always trying to think about like the box office in Asia you know Uh, because that's where you're going to recoup money for these huge blockbusters and then this idea that oh we're also going to cast lighter skinned people because that's what we have to do to make money over there you know and this is the same shit that like Will Smith would talk about, you know, um, the idea that like, like you can only have this one black person, you know, mm-hmm. and you can't have darker skinned people. It's just the idea that this is a thing that studios have been dealing with while trying to make their films bigger in China. And then you also have the compounded thing of shit going on um, yeah. with where they were filming in um, Xinjiang. So, you know, there's, there's just a lot going on that makes the movie just feel... Um, not like something I want to sit down and watch and support. I mean, I know a lot has happened since the pandemic, you know, (laughs) a lot of things, but at the beginning when marketing was happening for this, I recall there was a story about the protests happening in Hong Kong Mm. and the main actress who's playing Mulan, Louis Fei, came out in support of Hong Kong's police who Mm -hmm. were against this. So there had been conversations about Mulan and the ethical nature of it. We talked about that last year, you know, when when those first protests were happening, people were like, hey, maybe we should boycott this because she's being pro Hong Kong police. I know. Um, And now it's being dredged back up of course yeah so i feel like there's multiple reasons now for us to not be in support of mulan and that disney needs to respond soon (laughs) very soon yeah and it's sort of wild that they have thanked like four of the propaganda departments Mm -hmm. this is a situation where mike gallagher a republican um from wisconsin uh who normally i would probably dislike uh (laughs) because i hate the wisconsin gop but um this is one where it doesn't seem reactionary, you know? I mean, obviously, we're dealing in a um, 
political environment right now where like everyone is trying to find a way to point the finger at China because they think it's going to hurt the other side, right? You know, and so obviously, you know, like a Republican would take this up because they could be like, look at this stuff going on with China and this is Hollywood and, you know, and Joe Biden and um, the China virus, all this other like racist shit, you know, but Mm -hmm. like this is also something that seems like it's worth scrutiny um, and would love an actual response from Disney about it, you know, and the colorism shit just like hits me too, you know, because wasn't it just this week that John Boyega, talked about how he removed himself from Joe Malone London's um, fragrance ad because they had shot an ad with him that was about his family and his life and experience. But then when it aired in China, they replaced him, you know, and put like a different actor in it, you know. And that just reminds me of when also Disney, The Force Awakens, uh, when that was being released in um, different territories, removed his ass from the poster. Oh yeah, in China. This is all coming back to me. This is all coming back to me. Are they put? Yeah, they removed him, or did they push him back toward the like? I think they pushed him the... back or something. But like he was yeah. front and center in the American mm-hmm. poster, uh, and then really non-existent in the Chinese poster. And that is the shit that he has been talking about in the media now. You know, in that Brilliant. that interview that Boyega did with GQ, where he just talked about like the shit that he had to deal with making the Star Wars films and about how they weren't prepared for racist attacks on him and like Kelly Marie Tran too. Um, That's from American racist trolls, but you know, (laughs) it just sort of sucks. But in terms of reactionary Republican views, are you suggesting that Ted Cruz's reaction to the cuties situation (laughs) and loving in the Obamas with Netflix's decision-making is somehow disingenuous? I think think the logic follows. I think you might be right. See, this <laughs> is a situation where, hmm, I'm a Republican. Um, I'm a piece of shit like Ted Cruz. <laughs> and I am also um, love doing playing whataboutism. Uh, and I would <laughs> love a way to stick it to the liberals and Obama. Hmm, there is a controversy happening with a film where people are claiming that minors are being over-sexualized. So we're ding, already going to attack ding. that because of like QAnon and like Epstein and everything else. Republicans have decided that they are on the side of um, saving everyone from pedophilia. Right. Um, <laughs> Which is quaintly old school homophobic too. It makes me think of like the yeah. 70s and Harvey Milk and stuff. It's really, you know, mm-hmm. really nice ultimately. Pleasant. <laughs> Still not doing anything about Brian Singer. Don't really care about that. Uh, uh, we're focusing on this. So... We have to attack this, but wait. This movie is being distributed by Netflix. The Obamas have a deal at Netflix. The Obamas are the ones who went to France, picked up cuties themselves, (laughs) and said, let's broadcast this across the globe. (laughs) That must be what happened, right? It is so fucking asinine like i worked on two fucking netflix shows am i responsible for cuties (laughs) (laughs) which by the way is a critically hailed documentary which he did not see yes everyone who is critiquing it has not seen it they're mostly reacting to the fact that netflix who did apologize bungled the fucking promo for the promo right this is a film from um french and senegalese director memuna decore I love saying that name, Decora. I'm sure you nailed anyway, it, yes. Um, probably did not, but you know, they know my French <laughs> on this show. Uh, <laughs> um, it was a, her award-winning feature debut, 
cuties, and it's about this preteen girl who leaves her Senegalese family um, with a conservative background to try and join a group of young girls at her school um, who are like part of this dance troupe, and they're doing like sexualized dancers, and it's really about how culture sexualizes young girls and like how they can be seduced by it, etc. We've seen movies like this before. We've seen kids. Yes. We've seen thirteen. You know, it's nothing new. Mm-hmm. You know, but because Netflix bungled the promo and did this poster of like the final dance in the movie um, with them all in their like dance moms, toddlers, and Tierra costumes, basically. (laughs) So we've seen this shit on TV before, uh, but no one's coming after Abby Lee Miller. Ted Cruz ain't coming after Abby Lee Miller. (laughs) The law Uh, is coming for uh, her, but Ted Cruz is not. Yes. But anyway, the poster was dumb. It did misrepresent the movie, and they were right to be dragged. But of course, because that was on the internet, everyone started taking this up as a mantle of Netflix's hypersexualizing girls and like promoting pedophilia. And I have a headache, right? Because the internet has become the internet has become exhausting, even more so. And it's 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 like literally like sifting through um, the YouTube comments of Infowars. Also, uh, let's just talk about Ted Cruz for a minute. If you don't ever uh, stick up for like the rights of women, for example, if women seem to be garbage to you, just period, I don't believe you when you're suddenly fucking obsessed with the humanitarian rights of children. I don't believe you. So We just talked about this with Roy Wood Jr. Like, the Republicans don't care about kids getting fucking shot to death in yeah. their schools, and they're forcing them back into schools right now in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. But I'm supposed to believe that you give a fuck about a Netflix movie influencing kids? What, when are they supposed to watch it? They're, they're cramped into a classroom learning about um, not the 1619 Project. They're learning about how slaves probably had a really good life from Miss Becky or whoever <laughs> else you have fucking teaching our kids without a mask. So fuck Ted Cruz. And also, fuck everyone who sort of made him a thing. I know. Because I remember back when I worked at BuzzFeed, someone did a piece about Ted Cruz um, doing like Simpsons impersonations. Right. And I'm like, it's shit like that where like we like made truly heinous people seem like they were fun and cute um, for like um, trying to do um, we're respecting both sides um, political um, gameplay um, which was got us into like our 2016 and current mess. Well I will say I do wonder people talk all the time about okay and we talk all the time about don't dunk on these politicians online for an easy joke. You're just promoting their voice and stuff. And I really do wonder how much that's helped them. I just want to know. Like, how much? Oh, yeah. yeah. His biggest break was being memed as a Zodiac killer. He loves being dragged. Mm-hmm. He loves being dragged. Mm-hmm. He enjoys He loves that. being memed. Uh, he loves um, Trump calling his wife ugly. Uh, and it benefits him because, like, the fucking Wall Street Journal, which is, you know, basically the Federalist at this point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's the print version of the Federalist. Mm-hmm. Um there was like a shitty op-ed about how like Ted Cruz would be great for the Supreme Court because he doesn't bow to political pressure. And you can position yourself as a person who doesn't bow to political pressure if <laughs> people are constantly dunking on you online and you're like, oh, well, la-di-da, maybe I am a killer. Oh, so, I, I mean, I can't even. The idea that he would be good at anything is so incredible. Yeah. Which is also just to say that um, I did actually watch the movie and it's not even that great. 
that is my problem. With I was like, bored. Rarely do I have an opinion that follows a binary, though, and it, it feels like as far as this child exploitation is concerned, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects we talk about, whether it's American, whether it's French culture. It does feel like these young girls have been exploited in ways that didn't need to be depicted, especially for the movie to not redeem itself or have a clear message. Um, these, yeah. these girls, The movie is very muddled. Yeah, it makes no sense. It doesn't work for me, and I, I, sh- I should have been the person this worked for, like a black Muslim girl who was dealing with like very conservative family and having to over-sexualize herself in response to that and where they land. But it just didn't land with me. Okay, and come I, through therapy. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's, I, I have the same the same critique that we deal with at Big Mouth that when creators want to depict the lives of uh, pubescent 11 to 14 year old experiences in any way, shape, or form, it is somehow deemed inherently content for pedophiles. But then that makes no sense because how do you depict the lifestyle of that or the, the growing pains without it being deemed that? So then you look at a, a show like Sex Education that literally features children having sex who are only a couple years older than this. And mm-hmm. there's no discrepancy there. Or there. You don't see the disparity in that, Ted. Like right. there's no conversations there to be had. So it's all generally frustrating. Also a Netflix joint. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry, but like pedophiles don't have to go find cuties on Netflix to get their rocks off, okay? They can watch Hip Hop Harry on PBS for free, okay? (laughs) There there are plenty of shows with younger kids, and I guarantee like you're not getting into the mind of a pedophile who is like, ooh, this this sexual version of like this young girl and cuties is like what I'm going after. It's like the whole point is they are one because their mind is perverted and so they are they can get it from anywhere right 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 i think i think often though about like Megan Fox and the Michael Bay situation and how she came out saying that like Mike, Michael had her dancing under waterfalls at a very young age and how she felt exploited at that moment. And I wonder, do we think that these kids have the agency to be like, yes, I at 11 want to dance like this? No, it's mm-hmm. usually their parents like, giving them, having them go to auditions. It might be on their own volition. But there is, there's still that frustrating fear that I don't really know if these girls wanted to do this, mm-hmm. you know? Also, I mean, there's a way to do this movie without glamorizing it. And I hate to, like, always have to write that line of, um, like, are you glamorizing something or are you depicting it? And, I mean, yeah. like, obviously they're a dance troupe and you have to show that they're good. But, you know, like, <laughs> the close-ups, you know, it's just like, it's, 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 it's a bit much, you know? Like, I saw good dancing in that Sabrina Carpenter Netflix movie, Work It, <laughs> that looked pretty good with adults and still managed to look like sexy too. And it's like if there weren't like close ups of crotches. That didn't need to happen. And I think also a, a good solution to this is like look at a movie like Precious, where a 26 year old was cast to play 16 year old. Or don't look at a movie like mid 90s, where Alexa Demi was. 22 kissing a 12 year old in the movie like there are there are ways to go about casting actors and actresses that can depict children without having to actually use 11 year olds and then close up on 11 year old booty like I don't want to see that. We should have uh, we should have pen fifteen to this movie. Exactly, oh, exactly, exactly. Yes, uh, have adults be the cuties, and then you know, because you know what, it's French anyway. Like, done nothing makes sense there anyway. <laughs> remember when remember when Florence Pugh was supposed to be twelve in that one uh, scene from Little Women? God, we tried. Yes. God, oh we tried. Yeah. Florence Pugh, Pugh, Pugh. Uh, <laughs> what if we gave uh, her Chloe Grace Moretz hair? Surely that will cover it up. <laughs> <laughs> 
And mm. and then lastly, my last opinion on it was that like I don't think it made a strong stance on the sexualization of children, especially when it included scenes. One scene where they're playing laser tag. One of the men is staring at the girls in a very sexual way, and it doesn't get acknowledged or reprimanded in any way, shape, or form. Mm. So what are you trying to portray? Do you remember that, Ira? Yeah. When they're well, leaving. Unfor- I mean, yeah, I watched it last night, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I saw. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not memento. <laughs> 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 I hate that movie, by the way. I hate that movie. Do you? I hate are, my are, y'all, are y'all Christopher Nolan hive? Because I, you know what's sometimes. weird for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I yeah. love Christopher Nolan movies, and I felt like once he did the Batman movies is when he crossed over into the realm of like um, annoying white comic book fans. Um, yeah. And now I can't love him anymore because like I love the Prestige. Uh, yeah. I yeah. actually like Memento well enough, but I prefer Prestige and um, – Insomnia is a brilliant movie. Right. No, I'm a fan. Christopher Nolan is generally okay with me. Yes. Yeah. I'm even going to go see Tenet on Friday. Not in a oh, theater. No. Did I say not that? Not in a theater. Did I say it that? Is, <laughs> well, explain. It's it's um it's it's in drive-throughs now, and mm. it's one that's like 35 minutes away. But I'm like, yeah, you know what? I will drive to a drive-through to sit and watch a new movie. It seems like a fun experience. That actually seems okay. Yeah. I'm yeah, sure if you know? I wanted to see it here in Nebraska, I, I think everything is open. I think, yeah. and I think in fact, you actually have to lick your ticket to get into the Ooh. movie. So. <laughs> well, I'm going to go to the drive-in with uh, my girlfriend Rizzo. Oh, sure. And, uh, <laughs> I'm bringing Dinah Manoff as... Who, who does she play? Grace, I forget who that is. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Lee Grant's daughter. Anyway. Well, au revoir. <laughs> we'll be right back for the Keep It segment. <laughs> and we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. What do y'all keep in? What are we keeping? What are we keeping today? Oh, wait. Well, Aida. Yeah, yeah, I'm already. Here we are. <laughs> Paul, Paul Rudd. I've been waiting. I've been waiting uh, to come to come for the Ant Man himself. Uh, my keep it goes to Andrew Cuomo's Twitter video of Paul Rudd being a quote unquote cool millennial. Uh, God bless you if you managed to avoid this video because for some reason everywhere I went, I had to look at Paul Rudd dressed like he manages a Zoomies, holding a skateboard, and uh, insisting that we wear a mask like. Look, celebrity culture is already on the down and down and down, I think. But um, I thought maybe that we could keep Paul Rudd. I really thought that, you know, he, he could remain precious to us. But then he had to go and just speak. And speak and say like, of course, there's this running meme. There's this running joke that Paul Rudd is ageless. He's not because he's not problematic. And to be Paul Rudd is to have this like stress free existence. But jokes stop being funny once the celebrity in question catches wind of the meme around them and starts to like utilize that joke. And so that was frustrating about this video. And also it reminded me how a political Paul Rudd is and how he literally offers nothing to the social conversation. And I, I can't really be mad at someone whose whole brand is being an opinionless sweetheart, but it, it, it's definitely now it's his silence is deafening. And the one time he speaks about anything political is to tell us to wear a mask and gets very adamant and very mad about it, which he's correct. He's correct. But look, 
I really wish that uh, I really wish he would have kept to his corner, his calm little corner of the guy that we love from Dinner for Schmucks, and 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 that's it. <laughs> Not Dinner from Schmucks. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting watching like a celebrity who you didn't really think about it, but they are kind of a political dip into. I mean, this is, I don't know if I would call this a political video, but it's like, right. you know, but but it's like taking a stand. And so it's like when they mm-hmm. finally do, it feels toothless. You know, like, oh, you could mm-hmm. have said so much more, whatever. He, I mean, like the man's funny enough. I'm fine with him. Mm-hmm. A good actor. Yeah. But you're right. It, it didn't leave me like cackling or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I would say the toothlessness really comes from um, the fact that it's for Cuomo. You know who sucks. Oh, yeah. Um, yes, yeah, and, that's a whole and, other thing. And um, the the video itself, you know, is this whole like um, Poochie from The Simpsons. You know, very like, hey kids. You know, like <laughs> speaking in like m- like millennial or Gen Z quote unquote slang, which is really just black slang repurposed, and it looks goofy coming out of his mouth. Unfortunately, Paul Rudd, did you just yes queens me? That's not okay. Yeah. It was like a really bad SNL skit. Yeah, you know from that 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 aired at the end of the night. I don't think we need it. <laughs> it, should, it should have been cut for time. It's a cut for time <laughs> sketch that we all had to watch, es- especially with the other Marvel boys doing their thing this week. Chris Evans, you know, mm. Um, mm. leaking um, photos of a penis, whether or not it was his. Yeah. We, um, by the way, Instagram we do not stories. know. We do not know. We don't know. Yeah. On Instagram stories. Um, and then Mark Ruffalo tweeting <laughs> about it. Um, I thought that was funny. And then they used that to be like, um, oh, go ahead and vote, which is funny. You know, but that, that felt funny to me because I feel like Mark and Chris are always talking about politics, you know, so it wasn't like a pivot for them, mm-hmm. you know. Right, right. That's true. Also, I just want to say about the Chris Evans leak video or whatever. I hate using the word relatable, but man, like the, the entire we, we forget we forget that like when you do a share screen and you go to like a grid place, like the grid is just the most dangerous place in a phone. So you gotta like yeah. you have to be extra careful that you're not you know that the last twelve images you took weren't like hornified. Well, so what I discovered is, did we all know that there was a hidden folder on your iPhone? Okay, what? people have told me about this, but I am sloppy over here. So someone's got to come and so, install. Okay, so you no, know, so when you go to a photo. You select it and you hit that button, that share button that would normally be like, um, oh, you can, you know, add it to an album or like you can send it to someone. If you scroll up under add to shared album, add to album, duplicate, there is hide. And if you hit hide, it will take it from your library and it's only in this folder called hidden. Ah, uh, yes. Put it in a place where it's all together. <laughs> yeah, so if so... anyone finds it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's definitely helpful to have a type of vault for all of your dick pics and and what have you. But that 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 scares me even more because now they'll know where to go. Aha! Uh-huh. Right, right. You see right. what yeah. I mean? Well, that implies just someone sifting through your phone. I'm talking about the usual chaos, especially for gay men, of like showing anyone <laughs> anything on your phone. I'm like, please don't swipe right. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, what's your key for this week? Well, um, I'm startled to realize that the Emmys are this Sunday. Uh, this mm. may be a repetitive keep it for me, but I just want to say in general, when you look back at Emmy wins, it is so rare that one feels off because, again, over a season of television, people just gain notice for being amazing uniformly, as opposed to like with the Oscars where someone 
may win an Oscar for just one scene, basically. Or like, it, and then we wonder if we're discarding the rest of the performance. I usually find with the Emmys that they do a really good job. So I decided this week to revisit what I think now is the greatest Emmy snub of all time. And that is, I can't believe uh, we couldn't get Jane Krakowski that one fucking Emmy. I still think about it. She lost twice to Julie Bowen in Modern Family. I would have been totally fine with a Julie. travesty. I just I look no get don't get me wrong. I love mean white woman comedy, and I uh, you know <laughs> I respected her work in Jumping the Broom when nobody else did. I just want to say that. <laughs> but um, Lewis I, here standing for Julie <laughs> Bowen in Jumping the Broom. <laughs> But I would have been okay with her having one Emmy as opposed to two. Um, Jane Krakowski also lost to Merritt Weaver, but that's a good performance. I have to tell you, I've never seen mm-hmm. Nurse Jackie, though, so you have to fill me in there. I like Nurse Jackie. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it had grit. Yeah, right. But, like, I just want to say, uh, you know, Jenna Mar- Maroney on 30 Rock remains the most quotable television character of the past 20 years i mean a a jenna quote that i had forgotten about that is so funny she talks about being on a diet at one point and says i can only eat paper but i can eat as much paper as i want just that delivery the franticness (laughs) the insanity and yet the sincerity the crazy (laughs) hollywood sincerity of what she brings is so particular and just the best supporting actress performance ever so i'm always lamenting that she never won that's fair (laughs) that's fair i can concede to that it's the eyes for me it's the yes the Uh the squint to the beatiness the intention (laughs) I love her. People think I'm paranoid. Well, that just confirms all my suspicions. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, one time I was driving uh, our friend Gus home from something, and he he just like um, opened like the IMDb quotes of Jenna Maroney, and I'm telling you, I was like, there was almost a Hyundai Sonata in a tree. I'm telling, like, you cannot <laughs> listen to these quotes and like not cry. They're so funny. Yeah. So my keep it this week is to. Um, this documentary that was on Netflix, and it is called The Social Dilemma. Uh-huh. Okay. And everyone's been telling me to watch it. A friend of mine, RJ, even told me to watch it. I'm sorry that I'm about to drag this now. But <laughs> it is basically about how, like, technology is evil, and, like, people can use it for nefarious purposes, and also, like, people who are selling our information um, to the highest bidder, like, you know, the Zuckerbergs, the what have you. Um need to be regulated, et cetera. Uh, and this is also how people can, you know, get into conspiracy theories like QAnon, you know, mm-hmm. Pizzagate, and this kind of shit. Good. Good good basic stuff. Um, and maybe <laughs> some people who um, don't know about this, don't read, like, do need the documentary. Unfortunately, the documentary is awful. Oh, no. Uh, mm. Because it uh, also, first of all, it's just interviews, like, a ton of white people. Which, yes, in tech, I get it, but, like, it's just a lot of white people who keep talking about how, like, we thought we were doing something good, and then this turns out to be bad. I'm like, how about you interview, like, any black people in tech who worked at these companies? They were probably sounding the alarm, and you ignored them. Not even that many women in it. There are also reenactments in it. Oh, no. Not reenactments to this. Like, half of the documentary is the story of how this um, family is torn apart by social media. And so there's acting. And it is <laughs> some of the worst ideas I've ever seen. And it's just like this, first of all, there's this, there's this ethnically ambiguous um, daughter who, like, maybe is black, but, like, 
there's a black dad and a white mom and then like three other white very very white kids and so like i kept thinking about the makeup of this family and i know that we should you know colorblind things but like when you're talking about politics and like people being radicalized and it's like well is he being radicalized against his black dad you know like there's Mm -hmm. they're not thinking about these things you know but like the daughter who is obsessed with internet, like the mom tries to have this moment where she she makes them not use their phones at dinner. And then the daughter like smashes the phone and smashes like the glass case that it's in. Puts on goggles to do it, by the way. What is uh, this, Mythbusters? With her yeah, phone. Yeah. Pre- premeditated. The son, <laughs> the son is like being affected and then like goes to this rally. And then like, I guess like the... Like, his sister or mom, I lost track of who it was at this point, but, like, mm-hmm. another white woman is there to try and find him, and then they both get roughed up and arrested by the police, and I'm like, what is this about? Anyway, it's very silly, and a much better documentary um, that's also <laughs> on Netflix is Capital in the 21st Century, which is from the book from this French author, Thomas Piketty, um, who talks about differences in class warfare and race and um, inequality in the country, but specifically from... Um, the point of view of capital and like finance you know um and so talking about how like money um and inequality and like people hoarding capital you know can sort of um lead to um inequality you know and how that in the past led to rises in nationalism and how now we're seeing a rise of that again you know just because you know like one percent of the country owns like 70 percent of you know all the capital in the world and um Mm -hmm. that was such an interesting watch um and it's much better done and i want to read the book now um but i couldn't help but thinking about like the paris hilton documentary while watching that because that is about a woman who you know, obviously we have sympathy for her um, from a lot of the things we've seen in the documentary, but a lot of it too is um, seeing this woman who inherited all this wealth and sort of really did nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, great that she's a businesswoman, you know, who was then able to turn other things into money herself. But, you know, it was just weird watching this documentary about how the wealthiest people in the world, like, hoard um, capital and wealth and how it creates income equality, et cetera. And then seeing just, like, this plucky documentary about Paris Hilton, which doesn't um, excavate any of that. And by the way, <laughs> you, you just brought up something I forgot about the Paris Hilton documentary. She's asked at one point, do you feel responsible for like the insanity of social media? And she, at one point in the, in the documentary, she goes, I created a monster. I think I've, cr- I, I've created a monster. And then at another point, she's like, yeah, I do feel responsible, but she has no understanding of it whatsoever. So it had the, like, mm-hmm. it was like the illusion of comprehension when it just sounded like her basically calling herself popular again. I don't know. She's Serena <laughs> Vanderwoodson, you yeah, know, right. like, mm-hmm. like letting people get into chaos and like not realizing what she did. <laughs> anyway, that's keep it for the week. Good job, everyone. What a great show. Yeah. yeah what well a great done. show. Good levels of vitriol. I'm very proud of us. Great. Roy Wood Jr. Thank you for being on the show. And um, we'll see you next week. Keep it is a production of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Our digital team is Nadine Melkonian and Milo Kent. Thank you to Brian Sebel for production support every week. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy.